Hi, it's Mike Layton here. Hello, and welcome to the Null Space. I am your host, Omar Ismail. Today, we kickstart a new series called The Six Counselors, where I try to find out more about the counselors who run the city of Toronto. Our first counselor represents the great ward of Trinity Spadina. His dad is Toronto legend Jack Layden. I am pleased to have on the show with me Councillor Michael Layden. Councillor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Omar. So growing up, how has the Trinity Spadina riding changed uh, over the past 25 years that you've been there? Well, I grew up at uh, the corner of Bathurst and Bloor, um, and it, it, it largely looked the same as it did today uh, with uh, pretty low density buildings. Uh, but the neighborhood itself, um, or at least the people that lived in it, were, were, were quite a different demographic. At that point in time, believe it or not, the annex was working class. And now that neighborhood is, is populated with, uh, with young professionals. Um, so there's been a bit of change there. Um, but again, it's, it's a neighborhood that, uh, that we do a lot of walking in. It's a neighborhood that has a lot of Main Street. Um, people, we, we, we took the subway to get where we need to go. Uh, maybe didn't bike as much, but but that was starting to uh, to to grow. Um, traffic was bad, but uh, but it's bad everywhere in the city, and and uh, and we're not we're not widening any of these roads to accommodate more cars. Um, but it's it, it hasn't seen a lot of change in a lot of ways. So you live and breathe politics, but what is your first politics-related memory? So when I was, and I don't even know how old I was. I think I was seven or eight. The city of Toronto were was still burning its garbage. We still had several major incinerators open in the city, um, and um, at that point in time, the city didn't have a recycling program. But recycling programs had just gotten off the ground in other municipalities in in North America, and so my first protest or political action was um, was at a protest to shut down the incinerator and to start a blue box program. And it's grown enormously since then, but there's um, there is uh, at that point in time there was nothing going on, so it was pretty exciting to uh, to to watch that development over the years. After that memory, I have a lot of uh, uh, I, I remember spending a lot of afternoons uh, putting flyers in in rental apartment doors about um, uh, about tenancy and the rights of tenants. I got um, I got thrown out of the Eaton Center I think when I was nine with my dad uh, for handing out flyers on behalf of striking Eaton's workers. was fortunate enough to grow up going to a, a nature science camp and spending a lot of time in, in, in the physical nature. Uh, the, the notions of climate change were just starting uh, out to be a, a, a serious, serious concern. Uh, this is when I was in my, my teenage years. And so I, I developed a, a very strong passion for environmental issues, and that's what took me um, f forward from uh, through university and then in my in, in my work after uh, my graduate degree, and um, and still to this day in the politics that I practice, um, uh, some of my core values are that of stewardship and sustainable sustainability. So can you tell us why should we care about the environment? Well. Um, in, in short, it's, uh, it's critical to our, our survival as individuals as well as our survival as a, as a species. Um, from, the air, from, from every breath we take when we're born to all the food that we consume that sustained, sustains us and nourishes us to the water we drink, um, all of it, contrib it contributes in one way or another. All, all of it 
is, is, is facilitated by the environment. So trees that clean our air um, and that convert carbon dioxide to, uh, to oxygen um, are the same things that, that grow the food uh, that, that, that we eat um, and filter, uh, filter water that, uh, that we end up drinking. So in the end, all of this is, is one big cycle. And if we don't watch out, then um, we're probably not going to be able to benefit from uh, all the great things that the environment has to offer. And I'm not talking about the shade that a tree provides, but the, 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 the mere fact that we have enough oxygen to breathe and enough food to eat is facilitated an, enormously by having a functioning uh, environment, a functioning water cycle, carbon cycle, uh, that if we didn't have, we'd be, we'd be in pretty deep trouble. Yeah. So, so what, what, what do you have to say to uh, people that are skeptical about climate change and the costs that it takes to implement green in initiatives? Well, I doubt there's that many people out there that still deny the, the existence of climate change, especially and, in Canada, especially in Canada. And I would argue in most, most, most educated countries, I think that, um, that it's, it's probably not worth spending too much time trying to convince those that haven't been convinced of the enormous body of evidence that exists. Um, having said that, on the like, there is some some fundamental questions about how we pay for the the shift away from the carbon uh, uh, from from our carbon economy. The reality is we don't have a choice. Um, we either do it or we don't survive in, at the end of the day. Um, we either do it now or start to do it now or our, our economy and our, our civilization will essentially crumble um, in, the, in, in the generations to come. And nobody wants to see that. And I think if we start from that point and start saying there are ways of incorporating uh, green technologies and benefiting from um, the the employment cap like the 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 employment that we get from doing the shift over to non carbon based renewable energy sources uh, that uh, essentially um, we benefit from from an economic point of view because it's it's going to take a lot of steel to build enough enough wind or solar power generation uh, in in order for us to fuel a, an economy and a society uh, in a low carbon future or in a no carbon future. It's going to take a lot of steel. It's going to take a lot of silicon. It's going to take a lot of, um, uh, of, of, of lawyers. It's going to take a lot of, um, of everything in order to get us there. We just need to figure out a way to do those things that have less of a carbon footprint. And there are ways of, uh, of, uh, of doing that. And if we took them seriously and, uh, and balanced the, the, the economic argument with the, the notion that we need to make this change for, for our very basic survival of our grandchildren. Um, I think that it's a pretty easy decision to make. Um, I think coupled in, in all of this is this notion of social justice that that often goes in line with um, with environmental justice in that there are a lot, the, the, the growing gap between the rich and the poor is, is actually help fueling this. Um, it, it's uh, convenience and, and the, the desire to build and, and it, to accumulate wealth is part of the problem. And unless we start realizing that, that, that there are limits in what we should consume and there are limits in, in how much money that we, we should be or, or that, that we need uh, in, in our lifetime, um, that, like that, that's a fundamental thing we have to overcome to start convincing people that, you know what, maybe you don't need that sixth latte today um, and you can deal with a glass of water. You were talking about how we need to start um, 
becoming uh, more involved in uh, like a green economy. So what is Toronto City Council doing to make Toronto more sustainable? Well, we're doing a couple things. We have, for the past uh, decade, maybe two decades, had a, a very good strategy for ensuring that our um, our wastewater, um, our, that's like our, our, our wastewater system, are, is treating water appropriately. That we are untangling our sewage, uh, our, our our sewage infrastructure and our. Uh, sorry, our wastewater infrastructure and our storm sewer infrastructure so that they don't mix, which actually contributes a lot of the uh, of the pollution to the lake. Um, the the other things we have, a we have a green building standard that's above uh, and far beyond the, the green building standard, meaning new buildings in the city of Toronto are made more environment, uh, made more energy efficient and water efficient uh, than than the average building in Toronto. Uh, we have uh, programs to monitor and to track our, um, our, our our greenhouse gases that don't exist elsewhere in, in the province and in the country. Um, the Toronto Atmospheric Fund, which is a board that I sit on at the City of Toronto, uh, has, a, um, has a $25 million endowment that invests in low carbon uh, uh, low carbon solutions to, uh, uh, to, to, to energy um, energy issues, as well as gives grants to organizations that are doing work to find better ways that cities can reduce their greenhouse gas consumption. Some some of the ideas that that that, that have been activated from from those have been things like LED streetlights and similar type of uh, of of reduction in uh, in energy use and, and technological shifts. Uh, we also have a home energy loan program that gives. Um, that gives low interest loans to, to homeowners to do energy uh, energy retrofits. We have a, uh, a, a green roofs bylaw that helps uh, reduce the uh, the heat island effect that, um, that that you have in a lot of cities with too much concrete um, by requiring new buildings to have a certain proportion of their roof to be um, uh, to be a, a green roof. Uh, we have a very strong tree protection bylaw. Um, that means even if you have a tree on your private property, you can't just go and chop it down whenever you want. Um, so there are a lot of rules like that that exist to ensure that um, uh, to in, uh, to ensure that we protect the existing canopy of trees and in fact improve on it. So that's just a handful of things. Okay, because uh, recently I read that uh, forty percent of carbon emissions in Ontario are uh, due to transportation, and in a city like Toronto where we have cars, public transit, bikes, how do we as Torontonians collectively improve uh, commuting? and being green? Well, part of it is the way the city builds our neighborhoods. So when we're building some of these new condominium neighborhoods downtown, making sure that we're building a walkable community is key so that people don't need to get in their car and drive to a grocery store, they can walk to a grocery store. So that people don't need to get in their car to drive to um, to, to pick up their dry cleaning. So that like you integrate your, your, uh, your commercial uses into the residential uses uh, that in an effective way that that really reduces the number of trips that you need. We need to invest more in public transit, and and that's something that, um, sadly, we, uh, we particularly in the last couple of years, um, there's been a lot of inaction because everyone wants to go back to the drawing board rather because they want to insult the last person's plans, rather than just keep going ahead and building uh, and, and building out the system. Um, it's a shame that uh, um, that that we we waffle so much at the city. Um, sadly, we don't get the same level of, of resource invest uh, as as of financial resources that are invested in uh, in other countries where the federal government has gotten much more involved 
in building out transit systems in cities because they see cities as the engines of the economy and you want those engines to function well. You don't want them to be congested. Um, you, want, you want to reduce that as much as you can and the only way to do that is to build more, uh, more affordable public transit. And uh, bikes, I know uh, your uh, ward on Bloor, it's, there's a, a initiative to make it, to take a lane, for a car lane and make it into a bike lane. Yeah, well, we in Ward 19, we have the highest proportion of daily commuter cyclists in the city of Toronto, roughly around 11.5%. Um, the next closest is 9.5%, um, and that's the ward next to us. Um, so we have a lot of people that bike on a daily basis. We also know that the biggest barrier to more people deciding to bike to work every day, to school every day, is safe infrastructure. Um, Bloor Street is, the, the pilot proposed for Bloor Street is one piece of a much larger picture. Um, we just, we want to build confidence in, uh, in, in the, the, the cycling solution. And, and we do that incrementally. And so the first step is to see what it would look like on this stretch of Bloor. That's the most bike friendly section of Bloor, I would argue. Uh, and then hopefully from there, um, businesses, residents that live east and west will say, Hey, wait a second, this is really working. This is something I think we should get involved with. Um, and then we can see that grow. At Ward 19, you've been counselor for uh, the past five, five and a half years. Uh, you're one of the young, younger uh, city councillors. So, so far in your young career, what do you think has been your greatest achievement so far? Um, if we get this bike lane on Bloor, that'll be pretty exciting. I think that I, I was, I was a, a leader on, in, on building this home energy loan program, um, that it was something I worked on before I was in, in, in politics. And so I, I think that that's something I'm particularly proud of. Last term, we helped stop a downtown casino. Um, I was proud of that, um, not from any moral perspective, but from a city building one, I think that it was just a wrong decision. And when we started that fight, we were well behind um, other, uh, we, we were well, well behind in the polls. Everyone thought this was a done deal. And working with a handful of community members, we mounted a, an enormous campaign against a lot of a well-funded uh, casino lobby, and that, I was particularly proud of that. Um, I think we've I think we've worked closely with some of the business communities around the main streets to make uh, to to make them make them more accessible to everyone, make them uh, a better environment for people to go and enjoy, uh, both locally and from across uh, around the world, I guess. But people visiting Toronto. I think that probably the most rewarding piece is the day-to-day -day stuff that we do with um, residents, helping them address a concern around uh, their garbage their garbage didn't get picked up or that they have a problem with a tree on their neighbor's lawn and, uh, and, and, and they need to get some branches cut and we're able to help make sure that they can navigate, navigate the, 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 city's, uh, the city systems to, to get the work done. Um, a lot of it, are, most of the job is those very small little things. Um, a, a dispute between two neighbors, for instance, um, when all you really need is, a, is another set of eyes and, 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 and both parties at the table, and you can find a solution. So that's the type of thing that I really enjoy. Oh, my dad uh, used to tell me when I was young that it's, a, it's the little things that matter. And um, I was wondering what piece of advice did your dad, the great Jack Layden, give you that still you act upon to this day so when i i got out of, of grad school and i was fortunate enough that after after beating the bushes for some time um 
and applying for a lot of jobs, I was offered two jobs at the, almost at the same time. One was working for, I, I, my, my master's degree was in urban planning. So one of them was going to be working for a, a, a national, international consulting firm um, that uh, it just so happens that they, they help, they facilitated the siting of nuclear waste, nuclear waste facilities in the Caribbean. And it would, the job was in Toronto, but it, I, I would be participating in that exercise. And then I was offered a job um, working for a national environmental not-for-profit, um, doing policy work around, mostly around water, but then it became a, about energy. And uh, I, one job paid twice as much, the consulting job. Um, I'd have to drive to, I'd have to commute, um, probably through driving or public transit to outside of Toronto. Um, and then the other one for the not-for-profit, I was able to, I'd bike to work in 15 minutes. I would, uh, I'd, but I'd make half the amount of money. And there was probably no room for advancement at the organization, limited room. It's not like I'd have to work for nothing for a year, then I'd get paid well later on. It was going to be a lifetime of, of toil. Um, but I went to my dad and his advice was that pick the job where you can have the, where you can make the biggest impact in the world. Um, or with your, with your work. And, um, so it was pretty easy for me to decide after that, that I wanted to work for the not-for-profit, even if, even though it was less money and no, really no room for advancement, just because, um, I was more passionate about the work I'd be doing. And at the end of the day, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed my time there. I was there for four or five years and got to work uh, on an, an enormous breadth of issues. Whereas, at the consulting firm, it would have been much, much smaller. Um, the, the the issues I would have been working on, I probably wouldn't have gotten as much in the way of um, of of opportunity to work on issues that really I was passionate about. And I may, in fact, have been doing stuff that I didn't believe in. And I never had to do that working for this other organization. And so I was really happy with the decision I made at the end of the day. That's, that's great to hear. So do you see yourself running for higher office, such as uh, MPP or MP in the future? No, the municipal level of government is the most exciting and impactful one that, that exists. We get, we get to work with issues, uh, with any issue really we want. Um, even if they're within the jurisdiction of other cities, we can get involved and we can make requests through the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, through our own power, um, we can make those requests. Uh, we're not hampered by a party apparatus telling us you can't work on that issue. You got to work on this issue because um, that's that's a, a sad. Sadly, it's um, you're you're just you're very you have a very narrow focus at those other levels. Um, whereas at the municipality, you have this wide, wide focus. You also really get to be an advocate for people when they're um, when they're trying to access services. You don't get that same um, you, you don't get that same opportunity when you're an MP or an MPP. And so, um, I really think that uh, that that the municipal level is just more exciting, and you get to have a bigger impact on both your city and as well as people's lives. So, where do you see this? Uh municipality of Toronto being in the next 10 years? Well, hopefully we've, uh, we've stuck to a transit plan that, that, that means we can, uh, uh, we'll, we'll be building out some of the transit system uh, that, that was promised to people. 
Um, I'd like to say that that we take a couple, a, a few more steps towards being a more sustainable city, relying less on, um, or uh, relying more on renewable sources of renewable power, um, being a city that, uh, that that people around the world look at as a um, as a best practice city, some somewhere that um, that is leading the way rather than falling further behind. Cool, and that, uh, that's that's all I have uh, for today. Uh, it was great honor meeting you and interviewing you, and um, hopefully Toronto does act upon those words that we do become a sustainable city. Because if we don't, we won't, we won't, we might not even have a Toronto. We to live might in. not be yeah. around too much longer. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, so, thank you very much. Yeah, have a good one.